Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Roy Danes, welcome to ATV Talk. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to it. Well, that's awesome. Hey, you know, I, I want to go back into the beginning. What was it like when you guys were developing your skill sets uh, on three-wheelers? Well, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on three-wheelers and, and actually didn't start racing, what you might say, seriously until I started on four-wheelers. I uh, spent a lot of time as a youth on dirt bikes, which most of us did of our age. And then in the early 80s, of course, um, four-wheelers started to make a little bit of an appearance with Suzuki and so on. And uh, in 85, of course, Suzuki come out with the quad sport and the quad racer. And uh, I didn't race three-wheelers in any competition at all, just for pleasure use. And then in 85, when Suzuki released uh, quad sport and quad racer, and uh, obviously, I ended up with both a quad sport and a quad racer and just started out on some local racing, whether it was hair scrambles, TT, motocross. It didn't matter. I even did a little bit of ice racing. Um, just back in the day, there was really quite a lot of choices for us to go different places. There were even a few ATV only tracks back then. So it kind of made it nice that you had your own venue for the whole day. But um, yeah, and then uh, basically got serious about racing in 85, and then 86, I started uh, a friend of mine who just uh, recently passed away, Bill Lutz, had kept, you know, saying to me, hey, Roy, you should try racing. You know, he had already been racing, and I'm like, well, you know, I did some local stuff, some backyard stuff per se, and he said, no, we should, you know, do some GNCC racing, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, Bill, you know, I'm not. I wasn't really familiar with it enough to actually know what I was getting into. I mean, I had some idea about it. I'd been to the races and watched it, but it's a little different when you're actually the rider. So uh, that's how it kind of started for me. And um, my first race, this is kind of a little bit of a story, but that friend of mine, Bill Lutz, and I um, were going to go to my first GNCC together, and he had raced them before. So he talked me into going. This would have been in the spring of 1986. And they had already been to Florida that year, which we didn't go. But the next race that particular year was Loretta Lynn's. 
Um, it was kind of a crazy story too. Bill and I, at the time, I worked at the local Honda shop in Rough Creek, which was Barnhart's Honda and Suzuki. And they had quite a few riders back then in the day. And Greg Barnhart, the owner, was able to get a hold of Honda prior to the Loretta Lynn's race in spring of 1986. And myself and Bill, I believe it was about two or three days before the actual race, we took his truck and drove all the way down to Virginia to the loading docks where the ships come in with all the overseas freight. In Honda, we went in the Honda warehouse there, and there's just stacks of crates to the ceiling like you wouldn't believe. And we were able to get two brand-new 250R Honda four-wheelers before they'd even made it to the dealer floors. And we turned around, loaded these up on his pickup truck, drove from Virginia back to southwestern Pennsylvania, put them together that night, rode them a very little bit the next day, and then loaded up and headed to Loretta Lynn's. Neither one of us had even signed the paperwork to own them because the <laughs> paperwork, we were ahead of the paperwork, basically. But we had gotten the permission through the dealership and through American Honda to get these because they, Honda knew, knows the significance of having their bikes on the racetrack, especially at that time because Suzuki was dominant and they were the only thing out there. And um, so... These things were brand new, stock tires, stock pipe. Greg Barnhart, the owner, knew that I preferred a twist throttle. So he actually, the night before we left, took my thumb throttle off and started hacking at the cable to be able to fit an old CR250 dirt bike throttle on it. And he managed to make it work, and I was much more comfortable with that. And so the next day, Bill and I loaded up, and we headed south to Loretta Lens with two brand new Hondas that basically were untested. You know, I mean, obviously both of us are, knew what we were doing as far as riding them, but we didn't know, we, you know, no spare tires, wheels, none of that stuff because we really didn't have anything yet. I think that I bolted on an ATC 250R silencer, you know, to eliminate that big spark arrestor on the back, and that was pretty much it. So... Uh, <laughs> How yeah. big was the crowd around you for looking at the bikes? Well, it was it was it was it was really good. It was really kind of neat. We had a gentleman with us. We called him Trimoto Joe because back in the day he raced Yamaha three wheelers, and that was and he went as our mechanic. So the three of us go, and and Joe's a really nice, clean cut guy, and he's wearing all white overalls. So he looks like a factory Honda mechanic almost. You know, so we had a lot of attention around these two bikes because everybody had only seen them or heard about them. Nobody physically had got to touch one yet. So we show up at the races, and this is my first GNCC. And to be quite honest with you, I'm a little bit clueless. I'm trying to just follow <laughs> my, my buddy Bill around because I really don't know how the system works. So um, we go down to registration to register for the event. And I remember Dave Coons gets on top of the, the hay wagon there or whatever, the announcer's tower or whatever at the time. And he starts talking about the ATV crowd, the racers being, the crowd being so big that he needs to develop more classes, split riders up more. And, you know, it's a, the sport was growing back then pretty quickly. So he decided that they were going to have what we call the pro class now, the front row, A class, and then a B class, and then a C class, and then, of course, you have your senior and your four-stroke and things like that. So he decided to, instead of having a two-stroke class, you're going to have A and B class now. So A class would be your typical pro class, your front row. So we're in line together, and we're listening to Dave Coons talk about this, and, and I really don't know. On a dirt bike, I was a B rider. You know, that's just where I was on a dirt bike. So I'm in line with Bill, and I said, Bill, what class are you going to run? He said, I'm going to run A class. He said, well, you run. I said, well, I'm running A class too because whatever you're doing, I'm doing. So we get almost up the registration. Bill says, I'm running B class. And I said, well, I'm running B class too. So I signed up in the B class that day, my first ever GNCC race. 
And I remember it was kind of strange because it hasn't happened since, and I don't know if it's ever happened since. We go down to the starting area, which is a field, and we started on the upper field, which actually had trees in it. So depending on where you're lined up, you might only go 20, 30 feet, and you've got to dodge a large maple tree. So we go down there to the start, and that's this is the only race that's ever happened to me. Dave Coombs gave us a parade lap. I found out later that he gave us a parade lap that day because there were a few high-profile riders running his series that day, and he wanted to give them a chance to go around the track and actually get to see some of the hills and, you know, the, the terrain. So we actually did a parade lap that day. Well, you can imagine a parade lap on a motocross track takes you a few minutes. A parade lap on a cross-country course, especially like Loretta Lynn's, it's, you know, it's a 30-minute venue for, you know, for every get everybody around the track. So I remember we go around the parade lap, we come back, of course, everybody goes back, fills your quad up with gas, you know, kind of maybe fresh goggles, gloves, depending. And I go back to the van, and I top off my bike and stuff, and I'm there for a little while, and I'm not really paying attention to what's going on around me. And um, next thing I know, I look around, and I don't see anybody, and it's real quiet. And I kind of panic. I'm like, what, what? And I jump, put my helmet on, jump on the four-wheeler, and I take off down to the field. And here they're just getting ready to start to race. I wasn't really so knowledgeable enough to even know that I was going to miss the start if I didn't hurry up and get down there. So we run in the second row because we were the B class. We run down there, and I get lined up. And uh, lucky me, I got a tree in front of me in about 20 feet because I was like one of the last people there to line up. So I really didn't understand the concept of everything involved with the dead engine start. So what I mean, I knew what to do. I just had never done it before. So the first row takes off, and I'm standing there. And I remember my bike, it fired right up, and I take off, and I'm the third person into the woods. I'm up front and um, just go a short distance, and I see another four-wheeler, like, over the edge of the trail. Go a little ways longer, and there's another four-wheeler alongside a tree. He'd hit a tree or something. And I ran that whole race almost by myself. And I've never gotten since that day so tired, and I just cramped up. I probably didn't have enough water. Just didn't really know what I was getting myself into. But I did know that I needed to go as fast as I could, as long as I could, no matter what else I did. And, <laughs> and, and I did. And um, I had no clue what place I was in or the understanding of how to race a two-hour event and survive it and do well. So the whole race goes on. And another thing in the back of my mind, this is my first race. I've got a brand-new four-wheeler that I haven't even – made a payment on yet. Obviously, I was in no financial means back then to just go buy them and pay cash. And um, have you ever been to Loretta Lynn's or heard about it? I mean, Loretta Lynn's is one of those tracks. It's got plenty of rocks. It's got plenty of hills. It's got plenty of water. It's got a great mix of just all-around terrain that would be typical to a GNCC. Well, those stock Honda tires were not very good. They didn't hold up to, you know, actually putting them through the paces and bouncing off the rocks and the sharp edges and so on. But as the race went on, I'm not liking it. I honestly really didn't like it. I got really tired. Like I said, I cramped up. And I'm hearing all these rocks bang off of my brand-new four-wheeler, and I'm just covered with mud. And just the whole atmosphere was like, I don't know about this now, Bill. You know, I mean, I'm this race is two hours long. I've never raced two hours before. So I'm not, I'm not, to be honest with you, I didn't like it. So we get to the end of the race and my buddy, Bill, he was one of those guys, for some reason, he could keep his mindset on what place he was in, who was ahead of him, who was behind him. He just kind of had that awareness about him. Myself, I personally didn't care. I, di I didn't know anybody there, per se, you know, other than Bill. And I didn't see him the whole race. So we weren't even together. And um, so we finished the race. And I go back to the van. The race is over. Get the checkered flag. And I'm not really sure of anything 
other than when I get off my four-wheeler, I have three flat tires. The rims, of course, are all marked up, and I'm just covered with dirt and everything, and, and I am not a happy camper. So Bill pulls in a little bit after me, and he said, Roy, how was your race? You know, I'm like, Bill, this is terrible. I said, look at my brand-new bike. I said, it's trashed already. It was sitting there with – it looked – it looked horrible. I had three flat tires, and it's just sitting there looking weathered already. So Bill's like, well, he said, we got to Mama Hill, he said, and I got stuck once, and three guys passed me. So I know I finished at least fifth or sixth, whatever position it was. He said, you know, he was out aware of it. And I'm like, Bill, I don't know what position I finished, and I don't care. I'm ready to go home. So we were loading up. Trophy presentation was going on at the actual general, general store, and we were camped above it. So we go to leave, and we can't leave because the crowd of people is around the area there where you would be driving, and they're giving out the awards and so on. And I'm laying in the back of the van. We've got the four-wheelers on the trailer, and uh, I'm, I'm spent. I put everything I had on that two hours, and that was all I had, and I couldn't. I didn't want any more. So <laughs> we're sitting there waiting for a trophy presentation to end, and I know I didn't get a trophy, so I didn't care. And Bill's like, he's like, I'm going to walk over there and see what's going on anyways. Just check my score anyways, you know, because Bill knew about where he was. So he's gone for a few minutes. I'm laying in the back of the van, and I'm not even paying attention. I get up, and I'm looking around, you know, and I'm, like, disgusted. And Bill comes running back, and he's kind of waving his hand. He's yelling. He's like, Roy, you won. You won. I'm like, I won. He said, yeah, you won by six minutes. I said, oh, I really like this. This is a lot of fun. So... <laughs> right away, my attitude changed, and Bill's like, and that was the only GNCC race that they gave us a parade lap, and they actually gave out trophies that day. It's almost always been plaques from from that day on, actually. I've never gotten anything. That's the only day I ever received a stand-up trophy from a GNCC. So anyways, we go back, and I go up, and of course, I get my award, and I'm all excited now because... I got first place. I couldn't believe I didn't. I, I, for all I knew, I got last place, you know, and, and ended up that day. I got first place in the B class and, and won by quite a distance. And Bill got like sixth or fifth, seventh, eighth, whatever. He got the last trophy that they gave out in that class that day. So we both got trophies that day. And we were both pretty excited. And, and that's really where it started for me because I went from being pretty much disgusted to Oh, I really like this sport now. So that was spring of 86. And um, that's where it all started for me, per se. And, and then on, on a Honda. And then that year, I won every race in the B class except for one. And it was, I believe, spring to Renum. And this is like my second or third race. And um, we crossed the finish line to get the checkered flag. Well, to GNCCs, you take the checkered flag at one point, but you actually get scored at another point. So the checkered flag is ahead of the scoring system. So the race is technically over at the checkered flag, but you have to go get scored yet. And that scoring means that they're going to check your time and they're going to, you have a handlebar tag and they're going to cut your tag off and that has punch marks on it from the different checkpoints in the woods and so on. Well, between the checkered flag and the barrels, as we called them back then, I pulled off the track and was sitting there talking to my buddy. And then he finally realized, he said, Roy, why do you still have your handlebar tag on? I said, well, I guess nobody come and got it yet. You know, and he's like, it doesn't work that way. So I jumped on my four wheeler and went over to the score barrels. And the girl said, well, how long were you over there? And I said, I don't know. So they, they gave me second that day. I don't know if I won or if I technically got second. But um, so I ended up with one second place that year. and. Uh, the last race of the year, yeah, the last race of the year was the fall to Renum because back in the 80s, we would race the same venue sometimes twice a year. It would be a spring series there or a fall series or whatever, you know, fall race there. And Dave Coombs did that a, a couple couple of his tracks for a few years till he was able to actually get out and get a lot of, a lot more space and a lot more tracks. So that year was 86. That was my first full year of racing, and that was in the B class, so the amateur class per se. And the last race of the year was um, Torrenum. And I uh, remember I was lined up in the B class, 
and I'm sitting there ready for the race to start. And Dave Coombs comes up to me and he gets hold of me. He said, Roy, he said, I want to put you in the front row today. He said, you've already wrapped the B class up. Nobody can beat you. He said, I want to see how well you can do against these guys. So I'm like, okay, you know, he's a promoter. I listened to him. I pushed my four-wheeler in the front row. So I'm lined up with guys like Mike Holbert, Tom Toke, Teddy Trey, you know, some of the guys back then, because that year we were still had a lot of three-wheelers on the track and a lot of four-wheelers was mixing in. Well, it just so happened that year the points were tied between Teddy Trey and Tom Toke for the championship. So whoever won that race between those two was going to win the title for the year. Now, Tarenum is a very hilly track, so it didn't favor the three-wheelers per se, but Teddy, he could ride a three-wheeler as good as anybody back in the day. So I line up beside these guys on the front row the last race of the 1986 season, and I get the whole shot, and I take off, and I'm gone. And I'm leading the race, and I'm out there by myself. But I knew if those guys caught me, I wasn't going to give them a challenge. I was going to pull over and get because I didn't, I didn't want to mess with their series in their championship. So I don't know what lap it was, second or third lap. They caught me, and it was Tom, Toke, and Teddy Trey. And I look behind me, and I see them there right there. And I pull over, and I let them both go. And I knew it was their race and their championship, and I followed them. So finally, I'm like thinking to myself, if you guys aren't going to go any faster than this, I'm going to pass you back. So I passed them both back and took back off again. Well, they caught back up to me again. Tommy Toke was the first one to catch me. And there was a wood section where you could take a line to the left or the right of a group of trees. Well, I took one line. Tommy took the other line. When we came back together at the end where the two trails merged, we bounced off each other. And that particular year, that race, I was running Carlisle Strikers on the rear turned around backwards with steel wheels. Well, when we bounced off each other, when my four-wheeler kicked sideways, I caught a tree just perfect enough. It popped that rim, the tire off the rim on one side. So right away, I had a flat tire. I managed to get back to the pits, get my tire changed, and got back out there and finished third for the day. Tommy actually won the championship that day. Teddy Trey ended up second on the three-wheeler. And for the day, I ended up third in, in that particular race. Um, so that was my first A-class race, front row race, was fall to Renault of 86. And then in 87, I went, you know, was on the front row the whole season in 87. I don't, how, did it, how did you feel going from the second line to the first line and then running up front right away? Well, you know, it's funny because – as the season progressed, I was mixing up with those guys a lot. I would catch those guys quite a bit. And I would make myself into a top 10 rider. But as the B class, they wouldn't give you credit as being a top 10 rider because they only wanted the A class riders to, sh to have that, per se, overall score. So they wouldn't, even as a B class rider, that year in B class, I ran Blackwater that year of 86 in the B class. And I remember they had some factory team Honda guys come down there. I don't know if it was Dale Wentworth. There's some different names back in the day that came to that race, and it was a big deal. And uh, I ran the B class, of course, that year in 86. But I had overall, I actually, have, had they give me the credit, I was sixth overall that day at Blackwater. And it actually finished ahead of any of the team Honda guys that were there that day. So um, I was really starting to... I guess, uh, embrace it, you know, do well. And um, it didn't seem like it mattered. You know, Blackwater was clearly a notorious race in all aspects. It, you know, there's to me, there's nothing been anything like it, you know, since then and, and so on. But uh, it was clearly, you know, Blackwater separated a lot of people real fast. How many Blackwaters did you get to race? I did every Blackwater from 86 up to the last one, and I only I missed one between 86 and 93. So I was I was at Blackwater in 1985 as a spectator and then went back in 86, actually, as, you know, a contestant, you know. Yeah, so I missed one year between 86 and 93. No bike? No. Uh, so 
as life changes come at you, you have to deal with them. And uh, so when I was working at the Honda shop, of course, my schedule and lifestyle was strictly around motorcycles, ATVs, and racing. And Greg, the owner, he was a racer himself. So he allowed me to, you know, take Saturdays and so on, and sometimes Fridays for travel time or whatever. And uh, he didn't like it, but he knew that, you know, it was the only way it was going to work for me to do it. And uh, he raced a lot himself. So even if he was, you know, a little bit older than me, probably 12 years older than me, he would still occasionally, uh, the TT track or so, and he would occasionally beat me. So he would uh, he would enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, so what had happened was, as, as life progresses, I got married in 1991. My wife and I started a family in 92 and 93. And I had stopped working at the Honda shop in uh, the end of 88. And I uh, got a real job. And I was working out of town. So I wasn't able to commit to racing in the series and and things because life just got in the way of, you know, and, and I was okay with that because my wife supported it the whole time we were doing it. And um, to be honest with you, it's just hard on you, you know, and then trying to raise a family and, you know, just, you know, the expenses and, you know, you can't miss work kind of thing and things like that. So that's, that's the only reason I missed the one black water that I did is, I had to go to work first. I was working out of town, so it, it really didn't make it possible. I didn't like the fact that I missed it, but at that time, things just needed to happen that that did. So uh, I get it. I, I, I guess I never grew up, and uh, I've never stopped. I, I've always <laughs> this is all I've ever done. I mean, being born into it uh, is. Uh, I guess a little different for from my side of it. I mean, when my dad was was doing the ninety one tens, the one eighty five s's, and the and the start of the two fifty r's, you know, right here, right here where I'm sitting, and uh, you just we never had a chance. Yeah, you know, it was we didn't know it, but it was going to be our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was pretty lucky at the time I was because Greg uh, Barnhart from Barnhart's Honda, actually, he had owned that business. They just recently sold it. He'd had it for like 45 years or something, and they were like family to me. I mean, I lived, I literally lived at the Honda shop. That's I had an apartment above the actual Honda shop that Greg set me up with for free. I mean, actually, the money that I made there, I just turned around and put it right back into what I was doing at the time. It was just a vicious circle that I couldn't get out of. And and really, I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. The sport was good to me. Um, actually, uh, you know, I feel like uh, it kind of made me who I am in a sense because it's a commitment. You know, if you're if you're going to get sponsors and you're going to go out there and do it, and you're going to be ha- have any success at all, you've got to put the work in. You know, and uh, it's hard. You got to, you got to go to the uh, Blackwater reunion party they had. I uh, did. How was it to? I don't know how many of the guys you still see, and and what was it like for you to to go and be uh, with the people you used to race with? Well, you know, it's always great because um, the people like Teddy Trey were there, Tom Toke was there, Chuck Delulo was there, Norm Bish was there, several other guys, of course, were there. Jimmy Wise, um, a lot of people that you have history with. Some of it not good as others, but it's still all good in the end. It, it you know, as you get older, you kind of, you you kind of forget about some of those things that you know you might have struggled with on the track with that particular rider or some situation or something. But that group of guys there was, you know, they're the older, which you might say the older group of guys, because most of us now are, um, you know, probably the youngest one of us is probably fifty nine to sixty, you know, up to sixty three, sixty four, but. Um, all good group of guys, and you, we get together now. It's enjoyable. We sit around, watch some of the old Blackwater videos. Of course, you talk about different races and different championships and, you know, different days and how things went and so on. So it's really nice because each person kind of has a memory that the other person needs to or wants to hear because you forget about things. You actually do. And and guys, will, you remember that day when this happened or that happened? You know, I mean, um, 
you know, we've lost a few riders, you know, like Bob Sloan, things like that. You know, some guys that were uh, very popular in the sport, but um, for one reason or another, no longer with us. So when you have a reunion, you just never know who might not make the next one. So it's kind of nice to get back together with the guys and just come back together as uh, some old, per se, uh, I guess you'd say some old uh, foes in a way, you know, because we, we all got along. We never had, per se, incidents. But there's always that certain amount of competition built into each person, you know. Everybody wants to win. Well, you were, you guys, you were in the era of the originals. Well, yeah, to some extent, really. Um, the sport really took off in the GNCC racing. And like I said at the time, in like 1987, after my, my first class, I jumped up to the A class, I remember looking back on that year, and I think there was only maybe three or four weekends the entire year that I didn't go somewhere and race that whole year, simply because there was that much out there. I remember I was going down to Maryland and, and TT racing on ice, you know, just something that I'd never done before. But, uh, you know, you screw a bunch of tires, you know, put a bunch of screws in tires and you go racing. And, uh, you know, whether it was motocross or cross country or their local uh, local tracks, there was a track called Dream Mountain. And they did everything up there from a TT track to a motocross track. And they also had a hair scramble track and they also had a drag strip. So we would go up there and, you know, between changing your tires or your gearing or whatever, and you take one four wheeler and you just, you know, spend a whole weekend. They'd have a lot of weekend events and stuff and they were an ATV only track. So it was super nice to have a place like that. And uh, so, yeah, in 87, I took off basically, uh, started the series. In Florida, I went, you know, in 87, now I'm a front row guy. I'm an A-class rider. I'm going to run the whole gauntlet. And I remember Greg Barnard, the owner, he we, he drove a pickup truck and hauled a trailer with all the four-wheelers in it. And I rode in a car with a friend of mine. And I remember talking to Greg. I said, Greg, I said, we're going to get down here and get our butt sanded to us. I said, we don't know how to race in the sand. I said, it's never been something we've done. And uh, he's like, well, we're going to do it. And uh, he ran, I believe, um, either the senior class or the four-stroke class or something that day. And I ran on the front row. And I remember looking around me and seeing how these guys had their bike set up, you know, their ATV set up. And here I am, typical wood set up, you know, with the larger tires. And just. And these guys are almost set up like motocross bikes, you know, the locals down there that were racing. And I'm like, this ain't good because my bike doesn't look anything like his. And so uh, I remember that day. Um, got a good start, got off in the woods, and that sand down there, it just gets really whooped out. I mean, the track changes, and um, it it takes a toll on you. And uh, I remember Rodney Gentry passed me that day in a section that I would classify as whoops. He would probably classify as just normal terrain. And he was <laughs> sideways, and he was left, and he was right, and but he was on the gas. And he never let up. And I said to myself, if I can keep up with him, I'm going to be doing something today. Because, you know, he obviously he was a named rider, you know. And uh, that day, Rodney lapped everybody there. I'm talking everybody all the way up to me. And I think I was either fourth or fifth overall that day. And I would have been, had we have had another full lap of racing, he would have probably caught me. But he was going that fast. I mean, I think that was the only race he did that year. And obviously he won it. But, um, you know, then after that, I think we went to Loretta Lens or something as the next race or whatever. But, uh, yeah. So that was my experience in Florida starting off in 87, which wasn't a bad finish uh, for being out of my element per se. But all my other guys were in the same element. So really you don't have any advantage or disadvantage. You just have the same, the same track to deal with. So did the, did the locals beat up on you guys and, uh, you know, it was a mix mash. Well, R Rodney Gentry was really about the only local to come out on top. The rest of the guys that finished in the top five or top 10 were mostly the guys that were going to run the series. But um, yeah, he was set up and, and uh, he knew what he was doing as far as managing the terrain and so on and riding in the sand. I mean, it's uh it's a little bit like riding in the mud, only different, I guess, in a sense, you know. So, 
<laughs> Wait a minute. There's nothing about cross country that doesn't have mud. Oh, uh, no. And, and even down there, I remember, you know, in, in Florida, it's surprisingly muddy. Yeah, it is surprisingly muddy. It's a little different type of mud, per se, than what you get around the traditional East Coast. But, uh, yeah, so there's always a water crossing, and it turns into, uh, a, you know, a little bit of a quagmire and so on and so forth. But it was all good. Yeah. Did you ever get to travel to the West Coast and race? Well, I got a story about the West Coast race. Um, so this is in 1987. I'm on a Honda. And basically, I'm pocketing everything out of, out of my pocket. Honda gets a hold of me and says, hey, you know, we'd like to do a little bit of advertising with you and so on because I was doing good. I mean, I wasn't like beating everybody or anything by that means at all. And I said, well, is there any financial benefit for me? Oh, no, there's no financial benefit for you, but we want to throw some ads out there and a picture or two of you here and there, you know, really just showing our four-wheeler doing what it does kind of thing. And and they said, but but we don't pay you for it or whatever. It's all just, it's for their benefit. (laughs) I was okay with that, you know, because I felt that any recognition out there was better than none. And all I ever really wanted when I started racing the series was I wanted somewhere in some small column on the last page was to also say the finish line, fifth, sixth, first, whatever. It didn't matter that Roy Dane's name was in the magazine. You know, so I really just wanted a little blurb that showed my name. You know, I was that grounded that, it, you know, I was just wanted that one little black and white stripe somewhere in a magazine that had my name in it, you know, because. As you're growing up, and I started out on motorcycles and, and, and doing a lot of racing. I had two brothers, one older, one younger. So we was always on motorcycles as kids growing up. And, you know, always collected to put the pictures on the wall in your bedroom and stuff. You know, the guys on the bikes, you know, the old Bob Hannas and things like that. And, you know, some of the guys that, you know. So, yeah, but anyways, back to the West Coast thing. So in 87... In June, which was Father's Day weekend, we go to Blackwater. And, um, oh, no, prior, just prior to the Blackwater race in 87. Okay, Suzuki gets a hold of me and says, Roy, we want you to go to Olympia, Washington and race the GNCC there, which was the only West Coast race, GNCC race that year. And it was a long ways from Pennsylvania to get to Olympia, Washington. And a gentleman by the name of Rob Sanders, who was um, basically Suzuki's PR guy back in the day, got a hold of me. And um, I believe this would have been like in April or May of 87. And they wanted basically me to ride a Suzuki. So I talked to Greg Barnhart, which was kind of my mentor. And I said, Greg, I said, I'm on a Honda and I'm really doing good. I like it, you know? And he's like, Roy, he said, is Honda calling you up, trying to get you to ride their bike? No, because you're already riding it. They don't care. But you got a chance to do something. If you want it, you're not going to get these chances very often. So Suzuki called me up, and they made it really plain and simple. They said, Roy, here, here it is. It's a cut-and-dry deal. We'll have a brand-new four-wheeler for you, all the gear, everything you need. We just need you there, and you have to win the race. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No second, third, fourth. We want you there. We want you to win the race. And so I thought about it, and Greg kind of convinced me. He said, Roy, you got to take a chance. So it's one race. So, okay. So we drive like 48 hours from southwestern Pennsylvania all the way to Olympia, Washington. Me, Greg Barnhart's dad, Paul. A gentleman named Stanley Cree, a friend of mine, and Scott Whipke, who was running uh, the cross-country class as well. But he was a younger rider, so I'm not sure that he was either a B or a C rider then. But anyway, so we drive all the way out there, and we take Scott's Honda, and I don't take anything. We go to the local dealership, just like Suzuki said. There's a brand-new Suzuki in the parking lot. We get there. They're already closed. Brand-new Suzuki in the parking lot, a stack of tires and wheels, everything I needed except for my own personal riding gear, in which I took. And so this bike has a pallet aftermarket part sitting on the ground beside it, pipe, silencer, you know, just odds and ends. And so I've got to 
get this bike prepped and get it ready for tomorrow's race. It's brand new, brand new. So I work on it. You know, it's not like I didn't know what I was doing, but in a way, I didn't know what I was doing. I was comfortable with my Honda and had it kind of set up to where it was fine. Well, I didn't realize that the difference in the altitude out there was huge. Like we started at one level, the race took off, and the very first part of the race was six miles up a mountain. Well, their mountains aren't like our mountains in western Pennsylvania. Their mountains are legit. So I'm ringing this Suzuki out, and I'm doing good, and I'm thinking, I can win this race. You know, it was early, but I'm thinking, I can win this race. And I get to the top of this mountain, and this Suzuki tightens up on me. It doesn't blow up on me, but the motor starts to seize. I recognized it. And what had happened was I didn't realize or take into the effect that the leanness of this thing was really fragile out there in that environment as far as the jetting goes. So it ended up, I'm on top of this six-mile mountain, and this bike is starting to tighten up on me, and I can't race anymore. And this is the first lap. So I'm looking around this mountain thinking, where can I push this Suzuki over the mountain? Because I was so mad. I mean, I went out there, and the fact that the bike tightened up on me was was really on me because I didn't have the jetting proper. And I didn't have enough experience or knowledge, especially in that particular environment, to get it set right. And under the circumstances of the time that we had to work with and so on, unfortunately, it wasn't good. So I get back to the, the pits because basically I just coasted down back down off of this big mountain. I mean, this thing was huge. We loaded this four-wheeler up. We took it back to the parking lot, left everything in the parking lot on, on a Sunday or whatever, and, and we started driving back to Pennsylvania. And that was it for Suzuki. Uh, they gave me a chance, and I failed. I really did, you know. And um, the very next race was Blackwater. And um, I'm back on my Honda. That was 1987 Blackwater. You see this little plaque behind me. That was the overall from the 1987 Blackwater. I won the overall that day on my Honda. But wouldn't you know it, the very next day I get a phone call. It's Rob Sanders at Suzuki. And Rob said, Roy, he said, do you remember how we talked about that race out in Olympia, Washington? I said, yeah, Rob. He said, forget about that. We're giving you a Suzuki. We want you on our bike. I'm like, what kind of deal we got, Rob? Rob says, well, here's the deal. And Suzuki, basically, it was free bikes, free parts, free. Uh, they set me up with Clem Research back then. All the motor parts I wanted, whatever I told Clem I wanted, they was going to build for me, this, that, and the other. Um, it was basically an open book for parts and bikes, but it was only going to be paid out per results. So in other words, if I wasn't finishing in the top five, I wasn't going to make anything. Suzuki was only going to pay me by my finishes. And I was okay with that. You know, I felt that, you know, I could still do well on it and, and make some money at the same time because any income was better than, you know, because my sponsors at that time, Weisco, and of course, some different people helped me out. It was all just parts. It, none of it was any, any financial income. So. I ended up getting on a Suzuki the very next race after Blackwater and um, finished the year out with Suzuki. It did well, won one or two races, and I was okay with it. You know, I mean, I liked the fact that I was getting help. You know, free four-wheelers is, you know, for me, paying for everything that I've been doing, it was super. And plus, we were a Honda and a Suzuki dealership, and, and I would call Suzuki up every every monday after a race and give them a report on everything how it went down what i finished and so on and they would transfer me over to the parts department and i would give them a list of parts and in a couple of days i'd have a whole bunch of whatever i wanted it didn't matter i mean um, dirt wheels come and did a couple articles with me and stuff i made the cover of dirt wheels one issue so that was extremely you know it was extremely nice and uh, they actually raced one of my spare bikes or atvs at blackwater one year and uh the gentleman, in, I think it was Phil Beckman, maybe, had flipped it off a of 93 River Crossing and, and it pretty much destroyed it. But uh, Suzuki sent me a new frame. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they really liked it because, um, you know, when you give the magazine editor a four-wheeler to ride, they're going to do articles on it, you know. And so it was all more 
and publicity for them and so on. So uh, it was all good. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, finished out the year in 87 on a Suzuki and then raced the 1988 season on a Suzuki the whole season. So uh, I didn't deal. win. What's that? Same deal. Same deal. Yep, same deal. And uh, Suzuki, I don't know if you ever worked with Rob Sanders or knew Rob Sanders. He he was a gentleman. He um, he was Suzuki's brass at the time, you know, when it comes to the off-road stuff. And um, I remember in 88, went to Loretta Lynn's in 88 on a Suzuki, and Rob flew in from California to watch the race. And um, they actually had my picture on the T-shirt for that particular day. And I remember Rob uh, coming up to me and saying, hey, Roy, look, you know, because it was a Suzuki and so on, you know, and he was pretty excited about it. And, and I remember I didn't even have enough money that day to races to buy my own T-shirt because, you know, basically I'm just living race to race. But, uh, yeah, it was all good and it was all enjoyable. Um, winning two Blackwaters was clearly um, kind of what really escalated my name, per se, or, you know, I had some top riders and won championships at Roy. I'd have just loved it. I, I'll trade you all my wins for your Blackwater, you know, because that was kind of, you know, the, the Indy 500 per se, you know, it was the big race. And um, So you won two? What, you, you won 87 and, and what other eight, year? 1989. Man. Yeah. Uh, what were you riding in, in 89? I was riding a 1986 TRX 250R on about its 40th GNCC race. I mean, it, uh, it was an older, so, my story kind of changes a little bit because I finished the 88 season with Suzuki. Unfortunately, what happened to my separation from Suzuki wasn't anything to do with Suzuki. I have a couple brothers, like I said, and I have one brother that's uh, 11 months younger than me. We were kind of, all of us brothers were close growing up. He would come out and he would race occasionally. That's just, you know, a weekend warrior kind of thing, you know. Well, we were at the Pioneer Motorcycle Club up in Ohio racing a GNCC. It was real dusty that day. And um, in the very first turn in his class, I believe he run the four-stroke B class that day, he, he crashed in the first turn. It was so dusty, and another rider didn't see him and ran him over. And my brother got paralyzed that day. So it was kind of tough. You know, right. uh, that changed a lot for me because... And at home. So when I got home, I called Suzuki and, and I told them, you know, it was funny. I, I raced that day and I finished the race and uh, I didn't know my brother's accident happened until after the race. But um, when I got home that weekend, I called Suzuki the next day on Monday or whatever and gave the report and said, hey, you know, I, I've really enjoyed this and uh, I thank you for the opportunity. But I think there was one or two races left of the series after that race. And that was, I said, that's, my final race because I'm I got to sort things out in life per se you know it just really so even it though I was doing it changed everybody's life it did it's uh, it's unfortunate but that's part of the sport and we know it's part of the sport we just when it when it per se touches home it's actually a different part of the sport per se so um I finished the season off with Suzuki that year and that was 88 in 89, I only raced one GNCC before Blackwater. And um, I remember pulling into Blackwater, and Mike Colbert, he's a, he's a very good rider, and, and Mike had had a lot of success, three-wheelers, four-wheelers, and so on. And, and I, I'd seen Mike when I first pulled in, and he said, hey, Roy, he said, um, these guys are going a lot faster. You know, you missed three or four races already this year. He said, there's no way you can run with these guys anymore. He said, they've just upped the ante that much. And, you know, but Blackwater has a way of being an equalizer. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's own unique event. It's uh, completely different. And uh, that really wasn't intimidated by it, but I kind of used that to feed off of, I guess, a little bit. And uh, my brother was there, the one that got paralyzed. And my other brother was there, too. We, you know, our whole family had always been involved in going together per se you know we almost all raced and uh we were all just enjoyed it but uh he was there and i remember riding that race in a little bit of a different mental minds mindset because I, I wanted to do really well i wanted to cross that finish line first 
And when I did, he was sitting there in his wheelchair and he was happy as I was. And uh, I raced that race uh, kind of uh, a little bit, I guess, um, more on the throttle and less using my head per se. And I just, uh, the you know, Hondas are bulletproof in a sense. And uh, I had a great day and uh, ended up winning that day. So um, in Blackwater of 87 that I won, actually Tom Toke finished come across the finish line just one position ahead of me he was right ahead of me but on you know adjusted time I had won and then in 89 Bob Sloan finished right ahead of me but I knew where he I, we were racing against each other on the last lap but I knew all I had to do was stay close to him because I think he started on the first row that day and I didn't and so I won both of them by crossing the checkered flag second but with the adjusted times I was well ahead for the win so um uh, yeah, but we uh, we had some pretty neat. In 88, I was on a Suzuki at Blackwater, and I didn't finish good that day. I actually got lost during the race. And um, I remember when I got to 93 River Crossing, the mud fleas are there. And I'm sure you've probably seen some videos and stuff. They really don't want you to go anywhere, but where is per se worst case scenario, a lot of them, you know, because they're standing right. on solid ground. If you go where they're standing, there's probably traction and stability there. They want you to go. So anyways, I remember I come into the river crossing in 93 and 1988 on my Suzuki. And all of a sudden I'm getting drowned with these people. They're splashing water on me. They're pouring beer on you. And they're just screaming and yelling at you. And, and they start grabbing my four-wheeler and dragging me down the river. And they're yelling at me saying, you got to get off the track because the leaders are going to be coming through. And I was like swinging at them. I'm like, I am the leader. You got to get out of my way so I can keep going. You know, it was just chaos like that that, uh, that was uncontrolled. Right. But it also it also made for the racing, you know, it really did. I mean, uh, if you got stuck somewhere, you know, they'd love to see you get stuck or have problems. But in the same sense, they would help you out just as well. So, they like they loved you to get stuck so they could get you out. They did love you to get stuck. I mean, they were they were clearly out of control. There was no way to control them because the uh, the people were there at a party and there happened to be a race that weekend at the same time. You know, it just it ended up being such a blur between. People that were there just to drink alcohol and, and really be disruptive to the people that were there to actually run the run the event and try to do well. But um, yeah, one of the funny stories I got from Blackwater, you know, because I, I I'm lucky enough that I had some good luck at Blackwater. I mean, I never never ended up one of those stranded out there for three hours after the event was over and so on. And um, but as you were racing around the track, there were so many spectators out there on ATVs and dirt bikes and so on that were on the same track as you, whether they'd be coming towards you or they were beside you or you had to go around them because they used that same track to go out to the 93 moon rocks or the river crossings or whatever, the bogs or whatever. And um, I was behind this guy and his girlfriend on a dirt bike. And uh, we were in some tight woods and stuff and I'm yelling at him and I'm, and you get kind of get exhausted a little bit by yelling at people because it takes a little bit out of you. And, and, you know, your adrenaline's and, and finally, it just seemed like a long time because you know that you've got to do well and you've got to, you, you've got to take advantage of every opportunity there. And uh, it's the only time I ever did this to anybody, but I, the gentleman finally uh, slowed down enough that I got up beside him and I just picked my foot up and I literally kicked him and his girlfriend over as we were. I was just so mad, you know, and I just kind of pushed them over with my foot and caused them to wreck it intentionally, but yet. It's just like you got to get off the track because, you know, we're racing here and you're not. <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to go to one. Yeah, what year was that? You know, I don't even remember. I I, I think it was ninety two, ninety one, yeah. yeah. and um, it was quite the experience, quite the shocking experience for me. Yeah, uh, I, I, go, I, mean, I never seen anything like that. Yeah, we would literally one year we. We took a hog down and bushed a hog and roasted it all weekend over the fire the whole weekend. And we would be out mud fleeing or whatever on Sunday. We'd come back and have lunch already there. You know, I mean, we just, we would go down literally and absorb the whole weekend. It was just the greatest thing back then. You know, it really was. It was a lot of fun, a lot of memories and a lot of chaos all wrapped up into having an ATV motorcycle racing. And of course, we were real big on being mud fleas. 
for Sunday going out with the bikes and stuff. And we knew where to go because racing it the day before was pretty much the same track. And we knew where a lot of the hard sections were going to be and the places that we could watch and see some good racing and stuff. So it was, uh, it was really quite enjoyable. Blackwater was, I, you know, I miss it. I mean, even if, even if they brought it back, I'm sure I still have a 1987 250R in the garage. I'm sure it would be there, you know, with me on it. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah. um, when you talk about it you have you have two kids what yes. do they think about you know basically you had a factory ride so so basically you their dad was a factory rider and being a two-time blackwater champion kind of puts you in a special crowd do they have any idea what it's what it's really all about you know, it's it's funny. I, I I never I never per se beat my own drum in a sense. I mean, I was with a gentleman yesterday, uh, and it was funny. I went down to Maryland yesterday to look at a four wheeler, and uh, it was the same route I would have taken to go to Blackwater. So of course I'm remembering all the roads and so on. And I got to the, talking to that gentleman down there about it, and of course he knew all about it. You know, he lived down that area and stuff, and uh, he was about my age and stuff, and he was telling me all about it. But I. I I never did even tell tell the gentleman that I had won it twice or, you know, because I, for some reason, I've never been that person to just brag about it per se. You know, I mean, my wife, I'll be around other people and they'll tell people about it and they'll look at me and see, is she telling, you know, is that right? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Are you sure? You know, it was funny. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it was something that I did and I was successful at, but I, I don't know why I'm still not comfortable telling everybody that, you know, I guess in a way you, I don't know whether you're boasting or bragging or whatever. I just, uh, you know, I, I did. Uh, somebody's I did got a, a, hey, somebody's got to ring your bell. Might as well yeah, be you. Yeah, but, you know, my kids, uh, I, my son, after he got a little bit bigger, I took him, and we did a lot of the GNCC races. He did the youth class. He was a youth class champion one year and stuff. And um, my son wanted to be an ATV racer, in a sense. And uh, my wife and I both tried to ground our kids to Pay attention to your schooling, your education, and so on. Because at one time, you know, your kids, they're an age, they're impressionable. They think that they can race their ATV for life or whatever, you know. And and my son, we still actually, um, every New Year's Day, we have a, a traditional ride. And my son rode his ATV. I rode my old 250R on New Year's Day. And we rode together and stuff. But um, he, uh, he had stopped racing maybe... 13, 14, 15 years old or whatever, in a sense that we were going all the time. And uh, I told him, you know, your education is utmost important. And he went to college right out of high school. And uh, it's been the best thing for him. I mean, he still rides. He's got a dual sport, a dirt bike, a four-wheeler, and side-by-side, you know. So we do enjoy the, the sport still. But um, he's now married and has two kids. So he's uh, he's going through, you know, life's curves as well. But uh, my daughter, she um, she's never really, I don't know, She's she used to race just a little bit when she was younger, but I never really took her, per se, and I guess ran her through the mill in a sense. You know, my son, he really enjoyed it, and he was good at it. Uh, my daughter more or less did a lot of things with my wife and so on, so it was all good. Yeah, well, that's pretty awesome. Roy, I want to thank you so much for coming and and sharing your story with us. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc., offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to 
duncantechinternational at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 